So far, uh, so good? Pretty clear? Okay. So to move on uh, in terms of uh, compassion and uh, awakeness and emptiness, the next thing we need to uh, uh, look at and discuss is what's called common compassion. So first of all, now we, we've given a kind of a definition of love, loving kindness, right? Which is, which is love without attachment. That is the wishing of oneself and all beings to be healthy, that is well endowed so you can actually uh, do things, and uh, feel good. Isn't that a good... <coughs> it's worthwhile, yes? Yeah. Okay. That turns out, again, with, with training, uh, it's quite natural. Wouldn't, wouldn't you naturally wish people to be well and happy? Yes. But it's not practiced. Imagine if you were to practice it for three or four months or six months straight. It's awesome. It really is awesome. Something that most of us have never done in our lives is taking the time to go, you know what? I think I'm going to explore fully love. Not just affectionate love, but love for all beings, including oneself. Isn't that a weird idea? You know, we'll do that by, let's say, I'm going to go to music school and work for seven, six, seven, eight hours every day, right? Music school. Or I'm going to go and uh, do my master's degree, or I'm going to take an undergraduate degree, or I'm going to go to college. But the idea of going actually and saying, I'm going to go into a six-month or a year retreat and unfold loving kindness until it's continuous... Isn't that a preposterous idea? But why don't we do that? If that's so much a part of the human condition, why don't we do that? We have it occasionally, yes? But why wouldn't we, as I said last night, why wouldn't we ever think, well, that would be a worthwhile pursuit if we, if we get it occasionally, you know, here and there, why wouldn't we just go and develop it, pursue it, until it's a, an all-day occurrence? doesn't make any sense to me why we don't do this. They say, well, we should introduce it in schools. <laughs> well, who's going to teach it? That's not a retreat. Hmm? It's a very busy time. It takes time to be still and be quiet and to feel your viscera and have the discernment to go, oh, that feels good. That's what it's like to feel good. I ask many people how they feel, and they go, I don't know. What do they say, how are you doing? I don't know. Why not? They go, how does your foot feel? I don't know. How does your heart feel? Okay, I guess. Why wouldn't we know these things? Hmm? Why, why not? I've met people who don't feel their bodies at all. I say, how's your, how's your leg feeling? They go, oh, the, the cells are fine. No, 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 that's, not, that's, that's a conceptual contrivance. How does it actually physically feel? And after a while, I go, I don't know. I don't know how my leg feels or my knee feels. As a matter of fact, they don't know how they feel at all. They mentally say, well, I'm okay or not okay. No, no. How does the actual physical body feel? Well, it's supposed to be. No, no, no. How's it supposed to be? How is it picked up right now? That takes training. It turns out that those messages are what you call you. <laughs> so it's kind of important. It's like what we call me. 
we go around and say, me, 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 are actually sensory messages from your depth being translated into a verbal dialogue. Change the physical sensations and the way they're read, and what happens? You have a different me, a different narrative story. So we have to do this. But we're not going to do very well in any kind of meditation, concentration, and discernment of mind and freedom unless we actually develop that. It's rather defeating unless we establish a good basis for loving kindness. So compassion. So if you feel good about the world and you feel good about yourself and you see that people suffer, would anybody disagree and say that people don't suffer? Do, Do you know anybody who doesn't suffer? from at least time to time. It's pretty common, isn't it? Do, do you know of anybody, not people in the room, of course, they're, they're excluded, but do you know of anybody who suffers a lot during the day, physically and mentally? Delusions, not just schizophrenia and psychosis, but delusions, hardships, anger, problems with anger management, anger management, not to ang- manage anger, just need to uncover it. Uh, How about greed? How about jealousy? I've I've met people who are are jealous five or six times a day, irrationally jealous. Go through terrible bouts of jealousy, terrible bouts of anger, terrible bouts of lust or greed or desire. Must have those shoes. It's not the shoes, must have that dress. It's not the dress, must have that car. It's not the car, must have, must have, must have. Yes? Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody that kind of, for maybe an hour or two, just kind of thinks about how difficult life is and the problems and the issues and how they're going to get through it and do they love me, do they not love me, all these kinds of things? Do you, does that, not you, not you, but just other people, yeah? <laughs> other people. And would you say, how many people in the world would you say are going through this right now? Right now. Just about everybody, yes? Yeah. And would you say that anybody's going through any madness right now? That it feels like kind of madness? Have you ever experienced that? I know you're not mad, but have you ever experienced bouts of madness as a sane person? You go, that was mad. That was absolutely mad. Completely delusional. And you snap out of it, right? How many people do you think are actually mad? Not, not talking about clinically mad, but just mad right now in the world. Mad. Like gone off the rocker temporarily for an hour or two. Road rage, mad at their boss, sitting behind their desk going, and then you go, oh my God. What was I just thinking? Does that make sense? And then people that do things themselves, like they're thinking about something and they get into a car accident, they're ruminating or they, they get, um, because they're not feeling very good about themselves, they go get stinking drunk, get in a car and kill somebody, or walk across the road because they don't look. Should I go on? Do you know what I mean by that? Because what? Rumination. Because of habitual patterns. Floods. How many people do you think that is in the world? Just 
vote everybody, isn't it? And then some people up it to the point where they invade other countries and cause terrible misery for years. Dropping sarin on your own people, mass killings. Hmm? You know, reading about a plane that went missing with 200 and some odd people recently, yes? But have you been reading about the mass graves that are being uncovered in Libya every day? 200 people, 100 people. 50 people, 300 people being uncovered, mass graves. We don't, we don't read about that, but you know that's happening every day. There's teams of people right day uncovering mass graves, trying to aden- identify loved ones that have gone missing. Last year, 10 years ago, just missing. Madness. Madness. And yet, have you heard about, ever heard about lovely people that are happy, compassionate, open, open-hearted, philanthropic, give away millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, like the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, or the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation. Have you heard about people like that? Amazing, isn't it? So what's compassion? We have two kinds of compassion. We have relative compassion, and we have ultimate compassion. Relative compassion is when you feel that people are harming themselves or other people. Does that make sense? It's very simple. It's actually not complicated. We as human beings can generally, unless we're psychotic, identify that somebody or oneself is harming oneself or other beings. Did you understand that? We can identify that. We have brains that can do that. We look at a person and go, that's not good, they're hurting themselves. That's not good, they're hurting somebody else. That's not good. There'd be, or ourselves. Do we ever do that? Can we ever do that? This isn't good activity. I'm hurting my body. I'm hurting my brains. Is that right? I know I shouldn't be eating the second bag of potato chips because I'm going to feel really awful tonight. Do you, do you know what I mean? And yet we still do it. But there's something, a little voice in there called the compassion voice that goes, don't do it. Remember the 30 times before where you felt really sick? The fourth cup of coffee and you should have stopped at the second? Right? You know what I mean? That's called a compassion voice. It says, doing harm. So the formula for compassion is, as I am compassionate to my own being, may all beings be imbued with compassion. Now what that means is may all beings be free of suffering or harm because suffering is really harm of some type. Doing harm or self-inflicted harm. So the formula is as I am free of suffering may all beings be free of suffering. But you have to know first of all what it's like to recognize suffering, mental and physical suffering. Then you need to be able to recognize others doing it and have the wish that that would end. Does that make sense? It's really quite simple. What does that take? Just like loving kindness, what does it take? What does it take to actually feel... So who in the room felt good after doing that exploration? Anybody? Just You can, you can put your hands up. Nobody will, nobody will shoot you or anything. It's okay. Right. How do you know it felt good? How do you know it felt good? Because I said that? You did it, but how did you know 
that it felt good or how did you know it didn't feel good? Exactly. So it's called judgment. And in the teaching, we often don't use the word judgment. Oh, that's fine. We use discernment. We have two things. We have this and we have this. We have two things. We line them up and we go, this one actually functions better than that one. This one actually behaves better than that one. Do you know what I mean? We need that ability. That ability, takes, turns out, takes training. That's why we actually often study with teachers or mentors of something, whether it's car mechanics, whether it's jewelry, whether it's Feldenkrais, whether it's law. It doesn't matter what it is. Your golf pro says, you know what? This is a better swing than that swing. This note actually sounds better than that note. Right? We go to people like that. In the same way, we need to be able to go, this quality in the body and the mind is actually wholesome and better than that quality. Does that that make sense? That actually takes training. That's training in mindfulness. That's training in awareness and mindfulness to be able to discern this is actually a productive state. This state is a harmful state. Does that make sense? And for a lot of us, we simply don't know that we're doing harm because we've been told by our society, our parents, by school, especially school. I'm just kidding. I've got a school teacher here, so I use that as an example. By whoever it is, that that's okay. It's, for instance, we watch a movie or we see on the media, it's okay to lie. It's okay to steal. It's okay to do this or do that. We go, well, it's not really, but we're being told it's okay. So it takes discernment in your own being to go, this actually is not adaptive. It's not leading to wholesome states. Does that make sense? That's what we call relative compassion. Being able to discern that a broken leg is not as good as a regularly functioning leg, right? That the heart has problems. That the kidney requires medication. Make sense? That's called relative compassion. That someone needs to be fed because they're going to die or get sick unless they're fed. Curing malaria, which is fantastic right now, on the, actually on the verge right now of testing and some successful vaccinations for malaria. It's fantastic. It's taking a lot of money and a lot of willpower. If you've, I've never had malaria, but I've known people with malaria. Anybody in the room with malaria? No. Well, it's not a very pleasant disease. Right? That's compassion. That's removing painful, mentally or physically painful situations of other beings and oneself, correct? Okay. But what's causing? When, someone come, when a child comes down with diarrhea, again and again and again, a child dies of diarrhea because they're drinking tainted water, or, they, or the family can't afford to get a mosquito net to prevent malaria, or someone can't get access to simple medical health. What's it caused by? That, that somebody isn't able to have at least one good meal a day. You know how many people in India are actually below what we call the poverty line? What India calls below the Indian government calls below the poverty line. How many people in India are below the poverty line that the Indian government sets? Hmm? 800 million. 
are officially 800 million. What's the percentage of the population? That would be about 80%. What's the cause? What's the cause for 80% of an entire country that's experiencing massive wealth having 80% of its population below the poverty line? What's the reason why that road going from A to B is like going through craters on the moon? And it's been like that for five years. What's the reason that those people don't have access to medical health coverage? So you have to look at this. Now, that's a different thing. What's the cause of this mental, physical anguish? Where does it come from? That's what we need to look at. Make sense? That's where we're really getting into compassion. What's the cause of it? So normally we say, well, we just need to fix the, the uh, broken heart. We need to uh, fix the broken leg. Uh, the person isn't feeling well. Let's give them some food. Actually, that's really love. That's supporting people to feel good. Hmm? Now we're talking about why does the suffering, the mental suffering, and the mental physical suffering keep happening over and over and over again. Why is it that that 800 million people are still, today, below the poverty level? And I guarantee you, once they, I think they just passed a bill in India for, is it $10 billion? Something like that. $10 billion to feed. It was just passed by the, when we were there in India, passed by the Indian government, to feed. And people are going, it's never going to happen. Why? Because that money is never going to get to them. Why is that going to keep happening? Do we all know from our own personal histories that things have repeated themselves over and over and over and over again? And it's bewildering, correct? You go, why does that keep happening? Why do I keep doing that? Why does my aunt or my uncle or my parents or my brothers and sisters or my friends keep doing that and yet we know better? Isn't that, isn't that odd? And it, it's not adaptive. It's not, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't actually raise us up. And it's bewildering, isn't it? So we need to find out why. Then we get into what's called ultimate compassion. What's really happening to beings? Not that they had a broken leg, not that they tripped, not that they accidentally got hit by a car. That happens, yes. Not that the airplane accidentally fell out of the sky. Actually, there's no such thing as accidents. But why that? We're not talking about that. What actually is taking place that these things repeat themselves over and over and over and over again, including the emotional flooding that you go, I've been through this 50 or 60 or 100 or 200 times in my life, and it's preposterous. Right? And I keep trying to think my way out of it. And that's preposterous, because it doesn't work. You know, Einstein had a really good definition of insanity. What was Einstein's definition of insanity? Right. Keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Do we all do that? Same thing over and over and over again. We expect a result and a change. It doesn't happen. Maybe a little bit, but not significant. So we turn to the text. This text is from Sili Natsuk Rangdal, a great... Uh, 16th century uh, master in Tibet. 
He is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, probably one of the most accomplished uh, meditation master philosophers, scholars, all-around good beings who have ever emerged in the history of, of, of Tibetan um, teachings. And this is a very short text called Cognizance, Instruction that points out the basis of flawless meditation. Now, wait a minute. This weekend is about compassion. So why this text? Because this text nails it. Nails it. I love these short, pithy texts. Nails it. So to actually understand compassion and emptiness, we're going to have to understand mind. Have we all agreed that mind is seem, somehow seems to be the common denominator, it's the root? So I need to find this out. By the way, this is a greatly attained being. This is an extraordinary being. My, if I was ever stranded on a desert island, I'm serious. People ask me, if you were ever stranded on a desert island, which books would you ever take? And I usually quote three of his and say, these three are the texts I would take to, um, onto a desert island. Okay. The instruction that points out the basis of flawless meditation. Remember the talk from last night. Flawless meditation isn't about just being calm. It's about being awake. The union of awakeness and compassion. Let's begin. The eminent Vidyadhara. Vidyadhara is a holder of freedom. That's what it means. Uh, Vidya in Sanskrit is a victorious being. Um, a victorious, strong being. Dara is holder. A vidyadhara is an accomplished, a highly accomplished being um, in the tantric tradition. And the eminent vidyadhara Menpa Gomchen, that means Gomchen is a title for a great meditator, has told me, is either a student or someone he knows as a friend, has told me that I must clarify the actual meaning of the word cognizance, salwa in Tibetan, as it has been used in my writing so far. So someone's come along, either a student or a friend, and said, you know, you keep using the word cognizance, sawa, over and over again in your writings on Mahamudra and Zogchen. I think it's time you defined it to help us. Okay, so he says, okay. So I will now explain what it means. Now isn't that odd for a meditator to say, I want to know about cognizance, as if it's important. Well, if, if uh, Seely Rangdell keeps writing about it and saying this is the heart of meditation, the heart of liberation, then there's something to it. And he says at the beginning, the cause and condition for confusion, which is also a word for suffering, confusion, to arise for all sentient beings and for their wandering in samsara. That means their endless wandering in life's illusions. Samsara means a round of, not just rebirths. You know, ever notice, sort of like, you get up in the morning, and life unfolds, and very similar things happen, and sometimes both pleasant and unpleasant things happen, like the potato chips, or the haagen ice cream. It's missing again, because it's gone, in, it's the second container in the freezer that's gone into your body, and you afterwards go, Why? But anyways, wandering, samsara means wandering around in life, confused. Make sense? Not knowing what the purpose of life is. 
I always say to people that study with me, I hope I never hear at the end of your life, as I've heard from some people, what was life for? Or what was all this about? I've heard this. This is one of the most, one of the most heart-rendering things I can, I can hear. Is someone near the end of their life, a week or two or three away from passing, they go, so what was this all about? What, what was I doing for the rest, for my whole life? That's confusion. That's massive confusion. What, a, what an amazing statement, eh? To go, what was I doing? You know, I've heard this. What was I doing? It's, it's really late three weeks before passing away. What, what did I do? What did I do with my life? Isn't that weird? Can you imagine? Living a whole life and go, what was this all about? Why was I doing all this busy stuff? For what purpose? Amazing. That's wandering. Who's here ever had a dream? At night? Ever had a dream? Morning? Ever had the experience just wandering around in the dream and going, what's going on? Ever had that? Yeah? Okay. You're normal. Normal. Confused? Like, why is this happening? How do I get out? You know, you know how you, you open, you know, there's a door over there and it says open, pull, and you, you push on it for hours trying to get the door open. It says pull. Does that sound familiar? Or you're in a locked room or you're walking down a street but you can't get down the street. Or you want to drive somewhere and you can't get to it. Or, or how, here's a very common one. Exams. Do you ever ha- still have exam dreams? But the exam is not something you've ever studied. <laughs> you walk into an examination room. It's very common, turns out. Very common dream. And you look at the paper, and it's actually not even what you're studying, and yet you're being examined on it. Very common. Isn't that confusing? Do you know there's a lot of people walking around on the planet today that are very confused as to what it's about? Like, what am I doing? Why do I go to work every day? Why is it that I do this and I do that? I know people who've told me. You know, suddenly I woke up after 15 years, and I went, to my partner, who are you? How did I get here? I've known people have told me, do you know I woke up at my desk one day at work and I went, how did I get here? Like, what, what happened that I'm in this job for 15 or 20 years and how did it ever happen? They don't know. They don't know. One person once told me, you know, I thought about it and I remember how it happened. I was sitting at a meal and someone said, you know, you'd be good at that. You should take that. And there, 15 years later, I went, they went, what am I doing? Interesting. Isn't that something? So when he says, at the beginning, the cause and condition for confusion, suffering, to arise for all sentient beings and for their wandering in samsara, like a dream, both a good dream and a bad dream, lies in failing to recognize the experience, nangwa in Tibetan, of the cognizant quality manifesting. This is a bit technical. I'll explain it. The cognizant quality manifesting from the all ground as a natural display. It's a long paragraph. And instead, believing it to be separate objects. That's a little bit technical. So let's find out what this word uh, nangwa means, cognizant. 
it's a technical term. The word cognition means to know. So when we cognize something, watch. Should we do, do a demo? I like demos. What is this? Say it. It's not a Zen question. No. Oh, it's, it's my mind. No. What is this? Stainless steel cup. Thank you. So we name things. And even if we don't name things, we do, as it turns out. We recognize faces. We recognize cars. We recognize houses. We actually have cells called, called car recognition cells. Do you know that? And face recognition cells. And it turns out they just discovered body recognition cells. We recognize body patterns within, within a fraction of a second. We recognize our own body within a fraction of a second. It's a map of bodies. We have body maps. We have car maps. We have house maps. We have tree maps. So even if we don't name it consciously, we have cognizance, knowledge of the object. Does that make sense? Knowledge of the object. Right now, do you have knowledge of you? Right now. Knowledge, cognizance of you. I, you don't, by the way. But, but you'll feel you do. Do you feel? Can you feel you right now? You don't even have to have a word for it, do you? But you go, oh, yeah, that's me. Isn't that funny? Are you cognizant now of the room? Do you know what I mean? Can you feel the room? Yeah. Now, this kind of cognizance is about knowing, but it's a different kind of cognizance. The word cognizance here, technically, nangwa, the word nang in Tibetan means inner. Wang, wa, wa is power. It's a powerful inner knowing. So this kind of cognizance is not the cognizance of knowing that it's a stainless steel cup. It's the cognizance of being awake. That's a different term. That's why he's saying, please explain this term. This is not a just kind of to a philosophical point of knowledge. This is actually meaning cognizance of what? Cognizance of the awake state, of awakeness. Now, most people during the day, are cognizant of what? We need to find out how the suffering happens. Cognizant of what all day? We know about what all day? Objects. What kind of objects? People place things. Internal thoughts, yes? Internal ideas of things, people, places. And what else? So-called external phenomena. Tonka, painting, human beings, carpet, cup. We do this all day long, yes? Unbroken. How many, how many objects do you think during the day are we cognizant of, internally, externally? Labeled, in a day. And how often does it happen? Just like that. Go into meditation, go take a look at it, and you'll see you might even get nauseous. I hope you will. You'll probably just fall over and get nauseous and go, oh my God. Just like that. Incessant labeling of objects. And what's the biggest object that gets labeled all day long? <coughs> me, 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 me. Even if it's about somebody else, it's about me in relationship to somebody else, right? Not you, me. Me, 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 me. How? And basically, 
What is the dialogue about? How's my organism doing in the universe? That's all it is. It's called love. Does the universe love me, and do I love the universe? But less philosophical, how's the organism doing right now? Dialogue, 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 dialogue. And if it's unhappy, what do we do? We imagine how it would be happy, correct? Is that right? And if it's really unhappy, we imagine how we get out of that. But then we have masochists that dream and fantasize about how they could be really unhappy and get high off that. Okay. So this word cognizant. So it's failing to recognize that the experience of the cognizant quality manifesting, that is, the experience of being awake, the experience of awareness, not the object. So the habituation to objects of self and other as being separate from experience is the delusion. We do this all the time, don't we? Sound of helicopter? We say what? Helicopter. How many people do you think in the room here or on the planet go, when they hear a helicopter go by, mind? Or go, it's an experience of awareness. What else is it? There's no helicopter. What is there an experience of? If there's no helicopter, there may be a helicopter out there. What's the experience of? It's either an object in mind or the experience of mind having an object. Do you see the difference? It's not philosophical. It's actually very experienced. It's called insight. It's called wisdom. Either you focus on the object as being separate from your consciousness, or you experience the unity of the object in consciousness. And the only way to experience it is how? Because the consciousness is vividly awake. It's able to contain the experience. What would happen if you actually got to know the quality of that cognizance, that quality of awakeness, what would you find? It turns out you find out it's called Buddha nature. (laughs) That's why this is an important point. It's called freedom. The experience of the object is not being separate from mind, And experiencing the quality of the mind that beholds that is freedom. It's called Buddhahood. The mind that's confused about objects as being separate and real from mind is a confused mind that suffers. Is that fairly straightforward? That's it. That's it. A being who recognizes that objects, including self, is not separate from mind, it's just mind creation, is called a Buddha for that moment. A being that's confused about it is called a sentient being. They're wandering around in an illusion where objects are separate from their consciousness. So he's saying, we have to recognize this. Pretty cool, eh? These people are sitting there in ancient Tibet going, okay, let's explore cognizance. You think they're doing? Oh, or hung, hung. No, these these folks are going. So, like, what's really happening here? 
Let me read that again. Lies and failing to recognize, recognize, to recognize, have direct experience that the experience one's having is actually of the awake, cognizant, the wake knowing quality manifesting from the all ground. This all ground turns out to be the field of mind. What we would tend to call, but I'm not keen on this at all. I'll do it, but I'll... The vast ground of unconsciousness, where all the habit patterns are laid down. Below that, or in that, is this awake mind. So what they mean by this, this, uh, using all ground, yes, they're using all ground. This all ground is the natural freedom of this wake mind. But normally, it's filled with habit patterns. Let me give you an example. Give me an example. In the same way that we normally look up in the sky and we notice the clouds, is that right? The first thing we notice is the clouds, yes? But do we notice how vast the atmosphere is? That's free. Thank you. It's back. Where's it been, by the way? Walter Peak. Okay, I just noticed it was missing for a while. Yeah. So imagine all day long, we focus on the clouds, but we don't actually focus on the space. It's just a, a universe inhabited by clouds. And all day long, what we do is we name the clouds. Happy clouds, sad clouds, evil clouds, bad clouds, pink clouds, red clouds, orange clouds. But all we're doing is we're naming clouds that come from where? The sky. But the sky is not tainted. That's the ground. And yet, where do all these thoughts come from? From the sky. But if we don't know that, we're bewildered by where they come from. Isn't that bewilderment? We go, oh my God, there's a black cloud. And we get all perturbed because there's a black cloud and forget that there's actually just space. And the black cloud is made of space. But we get confused because somehow there's habituation to the object. We give it meaning that it doesn't have. Have you heard on, uh, for instance, on American, not to bash Americans because I have to life, love Americans, but have you heard on American television the, the use of evil tornado? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, evil tornado. Tornadoes aren't evil. I have an article, actually, it's on my computer. I, I saved it only because it's so weird. It was in a science magazine. No, it wasn't. It was some other article. But it called, um, it was a, a photograph by one of the, I don't think it was Hubble, but one of, the, one of the advanced telescopes in outer space photographing one giant cluster of stars being swallowed by another and calling it horrible. They said the, this horrible event. Horrible event? It's like calling a black hole horrible. Or the sun's so hot, it must be devilish. Do you, you see? It's done all the time. This is real confusion. That, was like, that would be like saying, well, the, the Pacific Ocean is having a bad mood today. Oceans don't have bad moods. Trees don't fall over because they had a bad mood. Do you know what I mean? So really, this is difficult. This is serious confusion. 
So, in fact, all these displays of the mind called afflictive emotions, good, bad, evil, ugly, nice states, bad states, I don't feel so good, me, you, are all displays of what? The spacious ground of the mind is actually free. It just gets stirred up by habit patterns. And instead, believing all this stuff, me, you, they, trees, room, are what? Separate than mind, than this cognizant awakeness. Does this make sense? That's where the confusion is. That is what actually causes the suffering. That's why a being will cause harm to another being because they confuse what needs to be done. It's so simple. If you act out of anger, when you could act out of clarity, it's confusion. Just confusion. Is that, is that pretty clear, or is there, is there some confusion around that? <laughs> why would you beat up somebody? Why would, you, why would you do that? Unless, of course, they were harming you. Why would you do that? Because you're frightened. But what? Objects in your mind. What do you get frightened of? What do you get worried about? Objects in the mind. Just like in a dream. Anybody ever been worried in a dream? Of course. And then you wake up and you go, what was I worried about? Ever had that in real life, in daily life? Where you suddenly wake up and go, what was I worried about? What was I concerned about? And you go, God, I'm weird, aren't I? Strange, strange behavior. By the way, people kill masses of people over these things. Right? Masses of people. Could you imagine, just in your mind right now, for instance, if Russia and the United States and China, let's just say United States and Russia, China, actually got together and thought about things they could do for the planet wholesomely. Could you imagine what that would be like? The absolute power of that, where world leaders and uh, bureaucrats and sit, sit down and go, so what are we going to do today in benefit for the planet? Wouldn't that be awesome? Bringing all those resources together of, of entire countries, actually cooperating, like the, like the International Space Station, but not just the International Space Station, but food resources, health, energy, Education. Could you imagine? Instead of fighting and competing. And the wealth that that would create would be staggering. It'd be absolutely staggering. I have explained how one is then deluded by fixating on self and other as being separate. And so on. At the start of my notes on Mahamudra and Zogchen. So those are other texts. Those are very famous texts that he's written. Now, and we'll, get, we'll come to that if you have some concerns. Do you have any questions about self? Do you know who you are? Is it confusing sometimes who you are? It might be. Yeah. yeah. Might be. A little confusing. Yeah. Now, while practicing the path of liberation, all the outer and inner perceptions arise from this quality of unceasing. Cognizance. Now, let's, instead of using the word cognizance, let's say unceasing wakefulness. Awake. 
Did you know your mind's awake? Let me give you, let me give you a demo. Remember what's in here? It's a rosary. Well, this is a rosary too. It's actually closer to the truth. Did you see this beautiful crystal? Sharp, not polished, just natural. Isn't that, isn't that sharp and clear? If I dip this in mud and make it all muddy, would you say it's sharp and clear and bright? Yes. Who would say no and who would say yes? Now, isn't that confusing? Wait a minute. It was clear, bright, sharp, open, and spacious, but if I dip it in mud or clay or make it all greasy, all greasy, okay, now it's dull. Would you say it's dull or still clear? Still clear. Why is it still clear? It just appears to be not. It's just coated, isn't it? But is it innately dirty? No. Would you say it's innately dirty? No. Has anything been dirtied even if I stick it in mud? No. Okay, let's go further. If I splinter and take a, uh, take a hammer to it and it breaks up into small pieces, are the small pieces still clear? Yes, and they're still flawless. It's a very clear, absolutely, absolutely, almost flawless quartz crystal. Has its nature changed because it got broken up into pieces? No, no not its nature. Its appearance. Making sense? So the only thing that's happened in consciousness is we've forgotten the wakeful nature. That's all. That's called delusion. That's what causes suffering. The moment one forgets that actual, the root of the mind is absolutely clear and awake and not separate from anything at all, we have what? We have delusion. And we fight. And we reach out and we harm. Why? Because we're frightened and we're nervous. That's called unlove. The minute you're in a state of love, you feel at ease. But it's not liberation. Knowing that that, that that clarity of wakefulness is actually the nature of one's mind at all times, that's freedom. Because it, it removes confusion. Make sense? If this gets dipped in mud, and we now call it mud, and disturbed, we're confused. We don't know its real nature. When it's dipped in mud, and we look at it, we go, even though it's dipped in mud, it still has the nature of clarity, right? Including a psychotic, who's completely delusional, still has a mind of clarity. Just not functioning well at that time. That's all. So now, while practicing the path of liberation, all the outer and inner perceptions, all of our perceptions, arise from this quality of unceasing wakefulness. That's where it comes from. Just like the sky. Clouds come from the sky, they go back in the sky. They don't come from anywhere else. So here he's saying, do you know where your thoughts come from? Do you know where they go to? Do you know where an emotion goes, where it comes from? Do you know where an emotion goes to? Where else does it go? Most people can't tell you. 
they'll say, oh, I don't know. You mean emotions just happen? Have you ever watched where an emotion comes from and where an emotion goes? Have you ever seen where an idea emerges from and an idea goes to? How many times have you tried that? Until it's definitive. There's only one place those states can come from. It must come from a spacious mind. It can't come from anywhere else. It's like a display. You know those advertisements on the side of the road? Those display boards? And what do they keep doing? They just keep putting up a new display on it, right? What's the underlying nature of the display? It's just a display. It's free. It can have any kind of display. Is that right? The screen on your computer or your, or your iPad or your cell phone can have any kind of image on it. Is that right? What's underneath it all? The ground of all display. It's just ready for anything to appear. Does this make sense? Anything at any time. What happens when we get bewildered? We believe the display to be real. Real and separate from what? The LEDs underneath. Isn't that weird? Look. What's the real display? Liquid crystals. It can change into anything at all, and what happens to our consciousness when it does? It goes like this. But it loses the entire big picture. And everything gets focused into display that's manifesting on what? The ground of wakefulness. Does that make sense? That's confusion. That's where all the suffering happens from. So listen again. Now, while practicing the path, all the outer and inner perceptions arise from this quality of unceasing wakefulness. It's called Buddha nature. The natural display of the intangible, empty essence of mind. That's what must be realized. Otherwise, it's always confused. Does it make sense? It's just confused. Every time something arises in consciousness, there's confusion. Me, it. You, me. Wrong, right. But the display, the display, how it all gets displayed, which is called empty, free mind, is not recognized. The difference between a, an enlightened being and a non-enlightened being is the recognition. That's all. That's all. It's either recognized or not recognized by direct experience. When it's recognized, there's no confusion. When it's not recognized, confusion is massive. Why? What do we do? We attach to objects as being real. Like a, safe, like a life preserver on an ocean. Correct? That person is going to solve my life unhappiness. Hmm? Have, you, have we all experienced this at some point? If I just fall in love with them, or if I cling to them, they will solve my life uh, problems. That teacher will do it all for me. That 50-inch television screen will clear up all my problems with watching television. I'll be happy forever after. If I get a larger Buddha figure, like a bigger one, that's only what, that's a kind of a, 50-inch, that's about a 37-inch Buddha. Right, Alan? And that, that's about a 37-inch, right, Katrina? That's about a 37-inch Buddha. But if we had a, 
a 50-inch Buddha. Man, would we be, we'd be a lot happier. 50-inch Buddha. Yeah. We'd, be, we'd be a lot happier. Did you know there are people like that? If we take a big stupa, a big Burmese stupa, I had this happen, and we put uh, neon lights all around it and, and cover it with real gold and marble. Meanwhile, you can't find enough money to help people go into retreat. But if we do that, that'd be much better. And the people believe that. Maybe out of compassion, that's a good thing. I'll just go on a little bit long. Oh, my goodness, it's quarter after 12. Oh, tomorrow's going to have to be very quick. I'll just finish here. Do you all have lunch appointments somewhere? Okay. In other words, all the objects of the six senses, right? The six senses? That includes mind, by the way. Mind is not, mind is not considered a se- uh, separate. It's just another sense object. The brain is... The brain in, in Dharma is considered another sense object, just another sensory device. Right? Touching, smelling, tasting. The, in other words, all the objects, that is, all the things that you see in here of the six senses, the outer visible form, sound, sense, aromas, and textures, are this awake quality without single exception. You either recognize it's all awakeness, all freedom, or you don't. It's either confusion or awake. That's it. This is why this guy's so good. Because he's mastered it, he can nail it. You're either awake to the way things are, or you're confused. And when you're confused, what do we do? We hang on to objects as our solution. It turns out it's never our solution. Maybe temporarily. Right? But where's the real solution? In recognizing the ground behind it, which is awake and free and clear, and it turns out to be compassionate. The inner, and he says without exception. Now, when he says without exception, he means without exception. He's asking you to meditate on it long enough to see if it's true. Is there ever a break? How about this? When you go to sleep, does awareness uh, vanish? What, what actually continues all day long? Do you? No, you drop out all the time. What carries on all day long? Because you don't. Is there, aren't there times where you're gone? Yeah. Sensations change? What actually is there all day long and all night long that you can recognize any time? Hmm? No. Breath stops. Awareness. Awareness. That's all you got. All the rest is a display board. Even when you go you, it's what? Awake, cognizant mind making a display. That's all. Just display. And then it vanishes. What happens when you fall asleep? Are you gone? Have you ever experienced that? You're gone. Now, I know people get terrified. Ah! Yeah, really. If we went like this, and you're gone, you go, who am I? But imagine the other response. Wow. Isn't that cool? 
Isn't that cool? It turns out that you don't need a me to be alive. And you've all had that experience. doesn't mean the, me's ma- the me is bad. It just means the me is an artificial construct of the mind. It's just a display of the mind, like a billboard. Me! Hi! Hi! Bill here! Frank here! Llama Mark here! Hi, I'm Llama Mark! Well, I could also be Llama Temba Yongdu. What name would you like for today? I was like, when I get introduced, oh, this is, I, this is a, oh, I'd like to introduce, there's a Buddhist. Wow. I could introduce, as a Buddhist. Or here, this is a Llama Mark. Okay. What, what, what name would you like to display the billboard for that moment? How many people actually have a partner in life, like a husband or a wife? Or... Do you know anything about them? <laughs> have you, have you, do you know anything about them at all? Not really. Do you remember what he looks like? You do, right? But, but if, you, if you remember what your partner looks like, what percentage of that entire being is that understanding, would you say? Have you ever seen a heart? Has he ever taken his heart out and shown you? Sorry, that's like, there's my heart. No, he's never done that. I want to see my aorta? How about my brains? Take the skull off and just, here, here's my brains. So what do we know about our partners, actually? Ever been surprised? They go, I don't think I know. You know, they say something, they go, do I know this person? Have you ever had that? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Do I know this person at all? What percentage do you think we know about our partners that we've lived with for years? What percentage do you think? Do we actually know about them? It's minuscule. Absolutely minuscule. But we read the displays believing that we actually know something. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? Little display, little displays. Like little LED lights. And we go, oh yeah, Frank. Oh yeah, Karen. Oh yeah, Laurel. Oh yeah, I know about them. But what happens when they shave their hair? You go, well, that's weird. If they shave all their hair off, you go, that's weird. Or how about when their par- your partner puts on clothes they've never worn to? That's weird. That's, that's shocking. Maybe that's not them anymore. Is it? The inner, visual, auditory, olfactory, gustatory, physical, and mental sensations and their corresponding attractions and aversions are also this awake cognizance. But that's not what you've been taught. My emotions are not good. Or my emotions are good. You've been taught what? That all this display, when it gets uncomfortable, is not a good thing. I need to get rid of them, so I need to meditate. So now I'm going to banish the display away into what? Absolute stillness. No me. No you, that's for sure. Absolute stillness. Empty of any cognizance. Empty of any sensation, so I can be at peace. Do you think that's the solution? What do you think? I think that's it. Where's the problem? It's just a display board. I'm going to leave that with you because it's getting on and 
I could teach on this all day long. But do you see where the problem is? My afflictive emotions are what? Just another display of the board. My peaceful emotions, my beautiful, sweet, compassionate emotions are what? Another manifestation of display. And you'll spend the rest of your life doing what? Counting and enumerating all displays display board without ever finding it what? What's the ground? And what's the ground? Awake mind. Now that's confusion. So as it says in this text or another text, I could find it for you. Happens sometimes. I go, oh yeah, it's beautiful, and I look for it and can't find it. But it says you can meditate for the for one. You know how long an eon is? An eon is longer than the than the than the lifespan of this current universe, which is estimated around um, fifteen billion years. It says you could meditate for an eon and still never become liberated. Why? Because you don't recognize the cognizant awakeness. But you do recognize all the billboard ads. Good meditation. Bad meditation. Excellent meditation. Superb meditation. Crappy meditation. Wasteful meditation. Sloth. Torpor. Happy. Sad. Bright. Clear. Amazing experiences. Light. How many do you want? Just billboard displays. But not the root. Not the root. Have you ever had great, great experiences and dreams? Like beautiful dreams? Amazing dreams? Yeah. They vanished, didn't they? They're just gone. It's gone. So what's he talking about meditation? What's the meditation? Recognizing the ground. Recognizing that cognizant awakeness. That's the meditation. It turns out that's compassion. That's the root of compassion. Recognizing that is the heart of compassion. Now leave that there today. You can go go work. So do your meditation. Guess what you do? I'll give you a real, real quick hint. Just keep pausing all day long, stopping. Look like this. Just very natural. And look for the awakeness the cognizant, the wake awakeness, and not the objects. Just do it all day long. You'll be surprised. Just stop. 30, 40 times a day. I don't care what posture. It could be like this. Anyway, just stop and look. <laughs> Look at what? Now you can say, well, so look at what? Just look at your mind. Look at awareness. Look for the clarity. Look for the awake clarity, not the objects. So you can, you can feel the habituation objects, can't you? So what meditation should I be doing? You're not. You're looking. Well, but, but what object do I look at? No object. So mind's an object? No, mind's not an object. Look for wakeful knowing. See so if you can spot it. Like, so, you, so what's your mission today? This is like a mini-retreat this weekend, yes? 
you're going to go on safari. And what are you hunting for? You're going on safari and you're going to see if you can find the elusive wakefulness, the self-knowing, bright experience of presence, just clear presence without a reference point. So you're going to go on safari. That's all. I'm your safari guide, but I'm leaving you alone for a while. Okay? If you've had me for like two and a half hours now? Okay. So you're going to go off by yourself, and you're going to go along with the, uh, the uh, lions and the panthers and uh, uh, wildebeest out there and see if you can spot uh, the creature called wakefulness. Well, and you keep doing it a hundred times a day, a thousand times a day. Keep spotting it. But you really have to recognize it first. If you don't recognize it, it gets very bewildering. Was that it? Was that it? Was that it? Was that it? I'm sure I got it. It was really bright. And man, it had rainbow colors and it was just incredible. It was just shocking. Was that it? No. Another display board. Advertising company. (laughs) Once again. So come back tomorrow and we'll (laughs) finish the text. (laughs) A, B. (laughs) Let's uh, make an aspiration and a a sharing of merit. Uh, By this powerful activity, may it lead to the cessation of suffering for all beings. May all beings be well and happy and may all beings be established in a continuity the unity of compassion and wisdom.